RadioInfluence.com. The future is now. This is the Valor Hour on Radio Influence. Your weekly glimpse inside all things Valor Fights and a look at what's going on in the rest of the MMA community. Now, here's your host, Tim Loy. Another edition of the Valor Hour. We are back after a bit of a hiatus where we didn't really have anything to talk about. But now we do, of course, uh, with the coronavirus uh, restrictions beginning to ease. Hopefully, uh, we'll continue to ease around the country. I'm your host, Tim Loy, as always, joined by my co-host, Justin Watson. Justin, what's going on, my man? It's been a while since we've uh, gotten together to do this. Yeah, man. Good to be back. Good to hear you again. I think that uh, this is kind of the perfect week to kind of dip back into the waters because it's a little bit of a light week. Uh, you know, we're getting ready for uh, the return of MMA with Valor Fighting Champion or Valor Fighting Challenge. I'm sorry, which will be uh, returning on Friday, July the 3rd to the world famous Cotton Eye Joe it's an amateur showcase. We're going to get into that card uh, a lot more in the coming weeks. We've got about three weeks before that event, so we'll do some interviews and previews, as always, in uh, the coming weeks. But today, we are going to take a look back at UFC 250 that just went down this past weekend from the Apex uh, facility in Las Vegas, Nevada. Uh, the UFC uh, brought a brought a big card uh, for pay-per-view purposes this past weekend. We're also going to dip into the UFC card this weekend on ESPN Plus. It is uh, a little less than stellar, but we'll do what we can to shine it up. And then uh, at the end of the show, we'll uh, talk a little bit about uh, some of the uh, some of the discrepancies or disputes that you're you're seeing from a lot of the top end UFC fighters uh, as they are uh, you know quarreling with Dana White over more pay. So we'll jump into all of that today. Let's start it off with our first segment. Of course, this is going to be a recap of UFC 250. And it was headlined by a uh, featherweight uh, female championship bout. Of course, Amanda the Lioness Nunez looking to defend that 145 strap against Felicia Spencer, uh, the number one contender, a uh, huge favorite. Uh, Amanda Nunez was, you know, minus 600, minus 700 coming into that fight. And uh, for good reason, as it was an absolute dominating performance by Nunez, who wins all the rounds very impressively. Um, props to uh, Felicia Spencer for surviving because it was very one sided fight. It was it was a beatdown, and uh, Nunez was uh, dominant in every realm of the fight. In fact, one could have uh, argued scoring a 10 8 in all five rounds. Um, you know, it was just a, a very dominant showing uh, from Amanda Nunez uh, before she gets ready to take some time off. It looks like as she's getting ready uh, to have some maternity leave time as her uh, uh, her wife, Nina Ansaroff, uh prepares to give birth here. I'm guessing in the fall. Uh, Justin, your thoughts on this one, man? Amanda Nunez uh, dominant. I don't think she shocked too many people with uh with this win, I think uh, not too many people had too many high hopes for Felicia Spencer, but at 145, there just really isn't too much left. Uh, what was your thoughts on uh, this bout? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, it's a lot like like John Jones or Demetrius Johnson, um, you know, especially back in the day. She's just so much better than everybody else that, you know, finding somebody that's going to give her a fun fight or a decent fight. Um, we're just not there yet. It's going to be a while before a challenger emerges, I think. But you know, just to go five rounds with her, I think is an accomplishment, you know, for Felicia Spencer, that's her third fight in the UFC. And, you know, she's fighting hands down the greatest female fighter of all time. And in my opinion, a top, a top five fighter in general, you know, regardless of gender. Um, And, you know, she was tough as nails, could have quit, you know, a lot of people would have looked for a way out, but, um, you know, she stayed in there and, and, She'll be back, but, you know, for those girls in at 135 and 145, I mean, you're kind of just fighting the fight. Like, there's not much of an end goal. You know, nobody's nobody's on the level that they can compete with her at this point. So, um, it'll be interesting to see, you know, just the, the accolades that, that Nunez acquires before she's finished. You know, Nunez the champion at 135 and 145, so now she's successfully defended that title in both weight classes, I think it may be a minute before we see her back defending the 45 championship because Megan Anderson, I guess, is the only one left. And I don't see that as being very competitive either. Uh, you know, she didn't, she got finished in the first round by Felicia Spencer herself. 
Um, I don't know that there's anything else out there besides her, though. And so, and, and then, it, you know, at the same time, can you can you sell that fight? You know, I mean, Anderson brings some dimension uh, and prop problems, you know, she's long and rangy and tall. But I just I don't know that she's got anything for her either. Yeah, I think in either weight class, you're basically just throwing a body out there for you know it's not there. There isn't anybody in in either weight class that's that's going to be that the odds are going to be any closer than they were in this one. I would agree. I think the timing for her maternity leave actually comes at a good time because right now there just isn't anybody that you can sell as an opponent. And there's three girls in the 135 class that she hasn't fought that are that are relatively highly ranked. Um, you know, you got Irene Aldana, you've got uh, Aspen Ladd, and you've got Juliana Pena. I don't think that any of those ladies stand too much of a chance there. But in this me in this downtime for Nunez, my opinion, they need to have these girls kind of. Well, they already announced that Aldana is going to fight Holly Holm. So if she beats Holly Holm, it's, it's a good win. Maybe, uh, you know, you, you build up one of these ladies in the next four or five months before Nunez is back to where we at least get a little bit of intrigue out of it after we see one of them run off, you know, beat a couple of the others. Yeah, I agree. It's you know, I think they timed it out perfectly. And um, from what I understand, I think Nina's trying to fight in like February, you know, after she gives birth. Mm-hmm. Um, give her three or four months, and then she's trying to get back in there. So it wouldn't surprise me if you don't see Nunez back before the fall. I mean, um, before the spring um, of, of next year. Uh, she definitely won't be fighting the rest of this year, though. Co-main event was uh, part of our Bantamweight smorgasbord, man. The Bantamweight division was on full display on this evening, and that, to me, was the most interesting aspect of the night by far. We saw the return of Cody No Love Garbrandt. Three losses in a row, three knockout losses in a row uh, for Cody. Takes a year off, uh, kind of changes up his training camp a little bit, uh, gets with Mark Henry uh, up north, and, uh, and he takes on Rafael Asuncao, uh ranked number five, you know, a very uh, perennial uh, contender, a guy that is, you know, always up at the top of the rankings, fought at best of the best, but 38 years old, a little bit on the downside of his career. I thought coming into this fight, Cody would have the speed advantage. It was just a question. Uh, a lot of people were being like, you know, hey, you know, Cody get knocked out, his chin's gone. But I was like, you know, Sun Tzu, that's not really his style. You know, it's not like he's a one-hitter quitter type. And, man, uh, more than anything, I felt like Cody showed his uh, maturity in his fight IQ and his patience as he scored a second round walk off knockout at the bell. It couldn't have been any more at the bell at the end of the second round. They called it 459, but it was like he hit him as the bell rang, knocked him out cold, performance bonus, and uh, no loves back. Yeah, man, that it was that was just a beautiful performance. He was so fast, and you know his his accuracy and timing is just unbelievable his footwork's great um you know i heard i think it was o'malley was kind of talking trash about the knockout saying it was you know there was no technique he just threw a bomb from ohio and whatever but man if you watch you know they're like there's not any you you couldn't be any more aware of your surroundings and knowing how much time you have left and exactly where you're at in the cage you know he he bends down towards towards his body up and grabs the cage just kind of hold that position he knows his son's house coming with the right hand, and as soon as he does, he unloads that that right hand of his own. And I mean, everything he had was in it, but there was no, you know, it wasn't a haymaker. I mean, it was a clean right hook. It just had every bit of torque that his body could muster up in it. And I mean, you know, son's house was his momentum was going left, and when Garbrandt hit him, his body, you know, visibly moved to the right and fell in that direction. I mean, he he moved his whole body. It was a massive, massive shot. After this, man, what do you think? Do you think that they that Cody gets, you know, I think Cody jumped into the top five with this. Me personally, I don't think I want to see him quite yet take on, you know, like a, a Marlon Marais or one of those top ranked guys. I like to see him fight another middle of the road, middle ranked guy next just to get a little momentum, a little bit of steam building here. So we don't just completely, uh, you know, shut him down again because he's a marketable guy. You know, he can he sells the fight. I think he's popular and he has the potential to be a draw for them, uh, I would imagine. What, what would you like to see next for him? Yeah, I mean, I don't hate a fight with with Marais, you know, a guy, in the, you know, in the top three. Um, but I don't disagree with, you, you know, getting getting somebody around seven or eight. You know, the, I mean, the thing about that division is everybody in the top ten is interchangeable. I mean, oh, it's those that. guys can – yeah, I mean those, those guys. It, you know, I think Dominic's ranked twelfth in the division right now, or something. And um, 
you know, any, any of those guys could show up for a title fight on the night and take it. Um, so it's just as dangerous fighting down in the rankings as it is, as it is fighting up uh, as far as the fight goes. But if you lose, you know, there's a lot more to lose there. Um, I heard a lot of people talking about him and O'Malley fighting, and I, I think that's a horrible idea. No, um, you know, Sean hasn't even fought anybody in the top 15. And then to go, you know, to a former champion, you know, in Garbrand, I think is, is ridiculous. But, um, but yeah, I mean, definitely, definitely somebody from, from seven to three, I think would be good. And then get him right in line for, for after I'll just shot. The feature bout, another Bantamweight bout, and another very impressive performance. I got this one wrong. Uh, it was uh, Aljamain Sterling, Funkmaster, uh, man, coming in hot and uh, taking on Corey Sandhagen, another guy coming in hot with a hot team, man. Uh, Sandhagen trains with uh, Gaethje and Drew Dober, and those guys have just been on fire, you know. So I was on Sandhagen coming to this fight, but he couldn't get it done. Uh, Aljamain Sterling gets a rear naked choke submission about a minute and a half into the first round. Very dominant. And, uh, man, uh, to me, I feel like uh, that is a fight that puts him in title contention. In fact, I'd much rather see Sterling going for that title um, against Peter Jan uh, over Jose Aldo personally. But my opinion, I think Sterling uh, has at least earned the next shot. If I were him, I wouldn't take another fight until that fight happens. Yeah, I think that it should have been uh, Sterling and and Peter Jan to, to begin with. I think the thing was that... You know, Aldo was supposed to have that fight with uh, Cejudo, and they had already promised it to him. He is marketable. So they went ahead and, and made this fight. And, you know, I mean, it, they pretty much said it was a number one contender fight. You know, Dana said, I think that, you know, I mean, anything can happen. Obviously, we've seen it time and time again, but it'd be hard to see anybody jump him. And I don't think he's he's willing to take a fight, you know, especially like, you know, who are they, are they going to put him with Cody? You know, like, that's not a good fight for Cody, but that's not a great fight for Aljo either. Right. You know, right. as you're waiting in the wings for a title shot. And uh, so, yeah, I think I think that's what's next for him. You know, uh, Sanhagen was – Sanhagen's a monster, man. He's, he's He was undefeated and, like you said, coming in hot. And Aljo gave him no room to breathe. He just – he, you know, got on him right from the beginning, climbed the back. And, um, you know, he fought for the, for the rear naked for a minute. But 88 seconds is – is about as clean as you can go in there and get it. Never got punched or anything, you know. So, um, stellar performance from him for sure. What do you think about Sandhagen for Garbrandt next? Even though it's a winner and a loser, I don't, you know, rankings wise, I think they line up and saying stylistically wise, it's probably a really good fight. Yeah, I don't hate that at all. Um, I think that Sandhagen, I don't know, he's, he's, I think he's only got like 12 or 13 fights or something. Um, you know, Garber has not got many more than that. So as far as experience in the octagon goes, you know, those guys are, are pretty close to the same amount of fights. Um, Garbrands have obviously been on a higher level, but um, the, the issue, the only thing that, that worries me about that, is I like Sandhagen too. And, you know, either way, you're derailing somebody with that fight. Um, I'd like to see Sandhagen come back and get a win, you know, and get a good win um, to prove that he's, he still belongs up there. I just hate, I'd hate for it to come at the expense of Cody. <laughs> Next bout up, it was the second fight on the pay-per-view, the main card. We saw Neil Magny uh, make it two in a row since his uh, comeback, uh, you know, a couple months back as he uh, goes to 23-7 and seven with a unanimous decision win over Anthony Rocco Martin. I was on Tony Martin on this one. Um, it was close-ish. I, I didn't, one judge had it 30-27. I, I had it 2-1, to one, Magny, but I, I thought that Martin got the first round, and so I thought 30-27 a little egregious, but I think they, regardless, the, the, the right guy got the win. Not the most uh, thrilling fight, and I didn't expect it to be, uh, but ultimately, you know, Magny's just, he's a hard puzzle to solve, man. He's so tall and rangy, and he has a really good fight IQ. Uh, tough loss for Tony Martin, who is starting to get a little steam behind him. Yeah, Neil. You know, I think I think he didn't see the best Neil that night. Um, you know, he did what he had to to win, but it was definitely the worst fight of the night to watch. And um, you know, it was hard to get anything going against a guy like Rocco. And um, but you know, Neil did what he had to do and and secured the win. Now, Magny, uh, I believe he called out Kiesa. Now, that's a fight I like. That's a that's a pretty yeah. interesting one. You know, I don't know if Kiesa. Is that kind of like backtracking a little bit for, for Kiesa, though? I don't know. It's a, it's a weird thing. I don't know where they're both ranked at right now, but. I don't you know, know that Magny is. Is he 
No, he's been in the division think... forever and, and has yeah. has always been a threat. I mean, you know, no matter who Neil's fighting, he's going to give him a tough go. Yeah. Um, you know, where uh, he has, his, you know, since coming into the division has looked phenomenal. Um, and as far as size and height and all that stuff, I think it'd be a, be a great matchup. Um, seeing, you know, how Kiesa can do, you know, can he get Neil down and, and impose his will on him? The first bout, as you mentioned earlier, we saw uh, the Sugar Show. Sean O'Malley moves to 12-0 with a, a walk-off knockout of his own. Beautiful. Over Eddie Wineland. Drops 24-14. And, 14. and uh, you know, O'Malley, I, he ended up getting a performance bonus, too. But you had to have, uh, you have to think that in the back when he saw Cody knock out his guy in the co-main event, his heart dropped a little bit, you know, because he had a, they both had really awesome knockouts. O'Malley just keeps looking and getting better and better. Uh, the time off from the suspension with USADA, it was obvious that he's transformed his body and his conditioning. Uh, uh, one, it's like a 180, you know. he's a, Now he's a beast. He, he, he was – you know, flashy and skilled and in uh, a character, but not necessarily a physical specimen. And now he is, uh, he is uh, uh, tough loss for Eddie Wineland. And uh, one has to think we may be seeing the end of the road for, uh, for Eddie. He's been around a long time, but Mally begins to, uh, to climb that ladder. You know, he talked a little bit before this fight and people are talking about bigger fights for him. And why is he fighting a guy like Wineland who's, you know, at the end of his road? Um, and O'Malley said, uh, you know, we'll get into this a little bit later with the, the contract stuff. But he said, you know, he's oh, he's fighting off of a contender series deal. So his money is still, you know, lower down there. And he said until he's making enough money to fight the best guys in the world, he's content fighting guys that are not the best guys in the world. Yeah, and you can't blame him for that. I mean, I'm with it. Yeah, he's not really bitching about it. He's he's not really like bitching about it. He's not like you know, pay me more, make this fight. He's just kind of going with the flow. He's like, as long as I don't have a renegotiated contract, then we'll just fight these guys. Yeah, I think they were supposed to renegotiate before this fight, um, and it didn't didn't happen. I think that he'll definitely get a new deal now. Um, but you know, fighting a guy like Eddie, who's got a name. I mean, you know, WEC champion and was a contender in the UFC, fought him and Burrell for the title at one point. So, you know, he was relevant at one point. He's he's not okay. the same guy anymore, okay. but he has that name value. People know who he is, and uh, for Sean to go out and star him like that, I mean, it, it's a good look, you know. Um, but it'll be interesting just to see, you know, when he fights a pure wrestler, you know, or a, somebody that's going to take him into deep waters, how he's going to do there. Um, in his first fight in the UFC, he got beat up pretty bad in the second round and came out in the third round and, and stole the fight. Um, so he looked good, you know, but, uh, I just like to see him with, you know, I'm, I'm interested to see him once he gets to that higher level of competition, you know, but we've seen the kid grow up on the scene. I mean, the difference between him now and when he was on the contender series is, is night and day. The prelims were headlined on ESPN by a featherweight contest with, uh, the veteran Bruce Leroy, Alex Caceres taking on the young upstart Chase Hooper, who was undefeated coming to this nine and oh. I was high on Chase Hooper, man. I, I thought he would get this one done. Uh, my mistake, because uh, that wasn't the case. Uh, Bruce Leroy, way too salty, way too experienced. We knew that Hooper's striking was not very good, but we, uh, you know, with his ability to get the fight to the ground, once he once he got on top of guys, you know, vicious ground and pound, very good grappling, and I thought with a smaller cage that maybe uh, Bruce Leroy wouldn't be able to to stay away from him forever and uh man he just had superior footwork his he made uh hooper's striking look like a you know a child it was not it was not pretty uh showed that there are levels to this game and young mr hooper is gonna have to uh step back a level uh i think to get his footing underneath him uh bruce leroy i don't know i mean i don't think that the win really does a whole i think he is who he is i think he's gonna be a gatekeeper regardless i don't think the win necessarily boosts him up yeah, you know, originally looking at it, I was like, man, you know, they really stacked the cards well for this for this bantamweight division because, you know, you got Chase Hooper is well matched up. I, I thought, you know, with Caceres, as far as the style to take him out, Hooper has that style, you know, get him to the ground and, and wear him down, um, you know, and then the same with O'Malley and, and uh, Garbrandt, you know, just good style matchups to really let him shine. Um, and Chase was the only one that, that ended up, not doing well um you know the, the the thing is your striking has to be evolved enough to to at least be able to to go in there and spar with the guy you know i mean 
I don't know. He, he couldn't he couldn't close the distance. He couldn't land a strike. He was very his striking was very amateur, and you would think that they would have at least put the work in to to be able to to nullify Caceres enough, cut the cage off to get him to the ground or something. But um, nothing was nothing was doing. But you can't dig anything away from the chin of, of Hooper. I mean, he he stayed in there and just got beat up for three rounds, you know. But showed that he had some some durability and yeah, and had some heart. Yeah. Got some grit, uh, you know. There's could be some interesting bouts with, you know, that was a 145 fight. So that, that there could be some interesting bouts, I think, with it, some other young upstarts, though, like your Nate to train Landwears and those type guys. Yeah, that's right. I actually, I forgot that was at Featherweight. But yeah, you're right. Um, of course, before that, we saw uh, former Valor vet GM3 Gerald Mearshart taking on Ian Heinish, and that fight was almost canceled. The, the night before, uh, they had a test for one of Heinish's cornermen uh, was positive for COVID, but then like a couple hours later, it, it wasn't. So uh, I guess there was a false uh, result or something like that, and uh, so the fight was back on. And it uh, didn't last long, man. A minute and 14 seconds in, and uh, Highness is able to uh, TKO uh, Gerald Mearshart. Clips him, drops him, and, uh, you know, he hurt him. It's obviously Highness hits very hard, and Mearshart just kind of turtled. And uh, opportunity for Mearshart to jump into the top 15 here because Highness was ranked 13th, could have taken that ranking. Unfortunately, couldn't get it done. Highness, uh, I would think next time, will be looking to fight someone above him instead of having to defend that ranking against someone unranked. Yeah, I was um, the, the whole thing about pulling him off the card was weird. I never even got clarification as to what happened and how it got put back on. But um, you know, that had to have been you know just a, a complete mind fuck for for Mearshark. Yeah. You know, now fighting now he had, you know he he got a replacement opponent, mm. and then the replacement <laughs> opponent got pulled and, and Heinish got put back in. And um, but you know it would have been tough for Heinish too, and he you know he took advantage of the opportunity, but. That guy, man, is is a super marketable. He has a super marketable story. Do you know the, the backstory of Ian Heinish? And I know that he uh, was it really like a, went to prison in like maybe Thailand or maybe it wasn't Thailand, but like somewhere else. He went to prison for like drug smuggling or something, right? Yeah, he was in the Canary Islands for a while. He, he was in Rikers Island for a while, and the kid grew up in Colorado. Was you know homeschooled, and um, he ended up learning how to fight basically in, in prison and joining the prison boxing league and. Um, then when he got out, he said, "Hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go for this this MMA thing," and you know, here he is, top 15 in the world. So, um, it's a crazy story, man. I think uh, if the UFC gets behind him and he can keep keep getting some wins, he can he can get a nice name for himself. Before that, we uh, started off the televised prelims. We had uh, two bouts. It was Cody Stamen, another uh, 135, uh, you know, uh, noteworthy uh, addition to this card. And he comes in with a heavy heart. Of course, his younger brother had died just one week before. I mean, most people probably would have pulled out of the fight, but Cody Stamen stayed in there and got a dominant decision over the always tough out in Brian Keller, who had just scored an upset like a month back over Hunter Asia, I remember, uh, hurt me that night. But he wasn't going to be able to pull off the upset on this night as Cody Stamen is just, uh, you know, and Keller was game the whole time. He just couldn't, he just never could get anything going. Uh, Stamen moves to 19-2, and two, and that's another guy that I think could be an interesting line, uh, you know, interesting matchup for a Garbrandt or a Sandhagen. Yeah. So what a tough situation to be in for Kelleher, too. You know, he knew going into the fight what Stamen was going through. I mean, obviously, it's a tough situation for Stamen, but being his opponent, you know, you absolutely have zero people other than your family. Nobody in the world rooting for you to win this fight. Everybody is pulling for the guy who's going through the, the you know, bad situation. And he, you know, he came out there and, and fought to fight, you know, regardless. He, he didn't, kind of like Alistair not long ago, you know, didn't really let the emotions get get involved he still went out there and fought his fight and it was a huge step up for him you know cody's 19 and 2 and keller's 21 and 11 i mean they're you know they are uh have had totally different career trajectories and um keller you know took advantage of uh not a short short uh short notice fight and i think he you know i think he made a good count for himself um that being said man cody stamen's a monster um you know he to fight through that kind of adversity you know, you, you saw the emotion just kind of pour out of him at the end of the fight. And, man, I couldn't imagine, you know, being in that situation. And um, I think it that, that made it that much more impressive, obviously. 
Kicking off the televised uh, prelims, it was Maki Pitolo getting a second round TKO by ground and pound over Charles Bird. Charles Bird retires afterward. Maki Pitolo uh, gets to one one in the UFC. He's very uh, he's very up and down. It's hard. To, I had him on this night, and I was fortunate, but I was scared to death the whole time too because he will. Uh, you never know who's going to show up. You know, he's, he's he's a banger, but at the same time, like before that, he'd lost to Callan Potter, who's a like a blown up 155 or that isn't very good and, and he lost to him so uh he turned it around here though uh, congrats to him uh and then uh closing out the early prelims we saw alex perez win with leg kicks over uh juca formiga in a what was a pretty big fight for a, a wide open uh you know flyweight division I uh, didn't expect I expected I had Perez to win. I thought he would win, but I didn't expect him to stop him with leg kicks. A vet of uh, GCA Formiga's, uh, uh, you know, uh, stature, a guy that's had over 30 pro fights. You just don't expect leg kicks to be what does them in. You think they have seen that and just would have an answer for it. But uh, I think that probably is the end of the run for Formiga with that loss. I think Perez uh, now he's probably one way, uh, one win away potentially, I think, from a title fight. Uh, your thoughts on those last two? Yeah, you said it there about Formiga. You know, just to be that caliber opponent and to stop him with leg kicks is is impressive. That low calf kick though is, I mean, it's devastating. You know, you hit that nerve, and it basically just shuts your foot down. You know, I've seen guys roll their ankles before just because you have no control over it. No, there is no, um, you know, you're you're it just doesn't work. So. Um, <laughs> I, I've, I've, I know I know what that's like, but uh, to see it done to somebody that high level is, is just super impressive. And, um, you know, we've seen guys at this level take some of those and look really bad off. Henry Cejudo went through it, um, you know, but fought through and, and kept going. And Formiga just couldn't couldn't handle it anymore. Um, but I think it was a big win for Perez. Put a put a nice name in his in his uh, resume there. And then opening up, uh, we had two bouts on the early prelims, and we had Devin Clark with a bit of an upset um, against the undefeated, well, up until this point, undefeated Alonzo Minifield. He was 9-0 coming in, but uh, drops to 9-1. He, he really hurt Clark early, uh, swole his eyes uh, closed, and uh, had Clark uh, kind of starting to shy away, turn away. And uh, But then he gassed, and it was not pretty from there. In rounds two and three, Clark takes over. Gets a unanimous decision win as the underdog. And uh, uh, much like our uh, situation with, well, not exactly like Hooper, but similar to Hooper. They were both 9-0. They were both kind of untested still. And uh, once they kind of got tested, they didn't really stand up to the test. Um, and so Minifield goes to 9-1. He'll need to drop back in competition. Devin Clark uh, goes to 12-4. Opening up the whole evening, we had Herbert Burns, brother of Gilbert Burns, uh, and they're hot right now, too. He gets a first round a rear naked choke finish over uh, veteran Evan Dunham. Now, Dunham been gone for a couple of years, but I actually had Dunham in this fight. I uh, I thought that he would be too salty uh, to just for Burns to get down. I thought that it would end up being a, kind of a grindy match and, and Dunham would be able to maybe survive and get a decision. But, um, you know, they both hurt each other early in exchanges. Dunham wasn't getting just killed in the striking. But he he overcommitted on a strike, I remember, and uh, got got turned around. Burns was able to get his back, and, and it's not a guy you want on your back. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, as far as the, the Minifield thing goes, one of the one of my favorite parts of the night was hearing Devin Clark's dad screaming at him um, during that fight. You know, with no crowd, you can just hear everything, and his dad was was getting hype. Um, but it was a huge win for him, you know, pushing through the adversity of you know Minifield's got heavy heavy hands and. Uh, good striking and and Devin Clark's more of a wrestler and he was able to to withstand that and and ended up pulling off you know what I think was a, a pretty big win for him um, you know and and Herbert you know Gilbert Burns says that that Herbert's jujitsu is you know leaps and bounds better than his and and we know you know we know about Gilbert so um, this wasn't too much of a surprise for me you know Evan Evan Dunham is a tough tough dude but. Like you said, it's been been some time, and the game just changes so much in a, such such a short period of time um, that he just he just wasn't able to keep up. And um, you know, I think Herbert's the real deal. You know, I wasn't sure after the Nate fight. I, I thought that he might have just landed a lucky shot, but um, I think he's he's here to stay. How about Herbert Burns versus Bryce Mitchell? That'd be fun. Yeah, that'd be a wild 
<laughs> I wouldn't I like mind seeing that. Mind. He called him out. He called out Bryce Mitchell and he called out, um, ah, oh, shit. Uh, who's the other grappler? Ryan, uh, Ryan, Ryan Hall. Uh, oh, yeah, Ryan Hall. Those are the two he called out. And I like both of those matches. Yeah, I didn't hear that. Ryan Hall has one uh, coming up. I've, I was thinking not too long ago about Bryce Mitchell and Ryan Hall. Um, you know, it's it's wild just because that we that we even put Bryce Mitchell in this conversation, man. Oh, I know. Because you know, Brian Hall and and Herbert Burns, those are two of the top jujitsu guys in the division. You know, coming from long, long backgrounds, and you know these, you know, excellent coaches. And here this dude is in a little small town in Arkansas, looking at YouTube videos and learning Eddie Bravo's tricks, and just going out there and doing it in the octagon. You know, um, but I mean that. Imagine if he did get with you know, some of these guys, imagine if he was with a, a John Donaher or, or, or Eddie Bravo, you know, somebody like that, that was, um, you know, hands on with him all the time and some top level training partners to, to practice with Bryce would be, uh, he'd be a handful man. But yeah, I like both those fights for, for Bryce. I mean, for Herbert. And that was UFC 251. Uh, I'm sorry, 250. It was 250. 251's coming up later. Uh, UFC 250 is in the books, and overall, man, I thought it was a good event. I I, I, I enjoyed it. I, there was only maybe uh, one or two fights that I got zoned out on a little bit, but for the most part, I was uh, I was invested. So, uh, uh, good effort on the part of the UFC. Uh, I don't know about this one coming up, man. We've got one. Uh, we're going to go ahead and dive into segment two here, and that is going to be uh, the preview for the UFC on ESPN card. So, ESPN Plus, I believe, um, and that is going to take place this Saturday, June the 13th, once again from the Apex Center in uh, Las Vegas, Nevada, and this card's been a little all over the place. It, there's been a lot of changes here lately, and uh, the main event is one of the lesser main events that I recall in a long time. We see a, uh, a women's flyweight clash over five rounds as Jessica I, Jessica Evil I, uh, will take on Cynthia Calvillo. And that is going to be, um, you know, I don't know. I don't know that I'm that I'm that invested in that fight. I don't, I don't even think that I, this is not my favorite fight on the card by any means. Not that I have too many favorite fights on this card, but uh, I mean, what do you think about them giving this uh, spotlight to these ladies? Do you think they deserve it? Do you think that it's going to catch the attention of people this weekend, even with uh, the COVID uh, having a lot of sports uh, on hold right now and there not being a whole lot of competition? This one is uh, this one's a bit of a stretch for me. Your thoughts? Yeah, I don't yeah. get it. Uh, I'm not sure. You know, it's not like these girls are are necessarily surging. Um, you know, Calvia is coming off of a of a uh, draw. You know, two wins before that, but since she's been in the UFC, she's had seven fights and missed weight three times. Yeah. Uh, and Jessica, I missed weight for her last fight. You know, and then now now both these girls are getting uh, a main event shot. Is is kind of wild, and um, you know, it's not like either one of them are super entertaining. You know, lots of decisions and. Um, you know, as, as, especially from Jessica I and, uh, you know, Calvi is mostly just a, a grindy wrestler. Um, I really don't know where, where this, this, uh, this booking, you know, where they saw that, that made sense. But, um, I think they definitely could have done better, man. Like, like you say, they could have, they could have pulled something else from this card to make a better main event than this. So, uh, the rest of the main card is as follows. We've got. The third time this fight's been booked, there's a little heat here. This is actually the fight I'm kind of, you know, now I'm kind of interested in because they're because of the heat between these guys. But Carl Roberson said to take on uh, the Italian Marvin Vittori. They were supposed to fight in London, which was canceled because of the COVID situation. Then they uh, were supposed to fight. It, if it wasn't the first show back, it was the second show back. Uh in Jacksonville and uh, Roberson had a bad weight cut ended up going to the hospital after I think he did make weight or if he, no, did he, not, didn't. he didn't make weight. he made the way in yeah he, he like, went to weigh ins yeah but he didn't but he was like, they faced off and everything but he never made the way he didn't even yeah. try then he went to the hospital and Vittori was so mad because uh, he's in fairness Vittori has like been ran through the ringer over the last you know two months the guys had it rough as far as like 
shows being canceled, being flown to London and getting stuck there, essentially. Just just a mess, you know. Uh, Vittori, uh, he didn't take kindly to that second cancellation, and he threw a fit that I'm sure you can find on YouTube somewhere. In the hotel lobby in Jacksonville, him and Roberson really got into it. So, these, you know, he said that he's going to hurt Roberson here. Uh, hopefully, the fourth time or third time is a charm, and then we actually get to see this fight. Uh, the feature bout is a quick turnaround for Ray Borg, uh, still up at 135 after he's missed weight at 125 several times. And that uh, in this fight, I think it may hurt him. He's against the uh, freaking wrecking ball and Marab Davishvili, who uh, keeps a very, very strong pace. And Borg does, too. I actually think it's going to be a really fun fight. But uh, Davishvili is going to be, I, I think, just too much. And in, uh, in the 135 jump for Borg, I think size will matter a little bit here. Uh, Andre Feely at featherweight takes on uh, the Canadian Charles Jourdain, who's coming off of a knockout win there. Uh, he's, he'll be the underdog to the much more experienced Feely. And rounding out the main card, it is Jordan Espinosa taking on Mark De La Rosa in a battle of 135ers that are both coming. Uh, that have, neither one ever won a fight in the UFC, actually. Espinosa's 0-2 in the UFC. De La Rosa's 0-3 in the UFC. And... Uh, that's another fight I could see maybe you know, being kind of good for scrambles and a little bit entertaining, but man, it's a rough main card. Your thoughts? Yeah, um, I like you know I like the the uh, the co-main and and the feature bout. Um, you know, Vittori's a pretty heavy favorite in that fight. I think that he I think that he was a lesser favorite for the last fight, and then it was almost like his his anger and uh, frustration <laughs> made him a, a bigger betting favorite. Um, but I'm looking forward to that fight a lot. I like Vittori. He fought um, Stylebender, uh, you know, earlier on and, and took him to a split decision. Um, he took him down you know, two times, too. Yeah, yeah. And so the kid's got a lot of talent. He's big. He's strong. Uh, he's mean. So it's going to be a fun fight to watch. Uh, Ray Borg and, uh, and Marab is uh, going to be uh, – I, I believe that's going to be a devastating uh, fight for, for – Ray, I think he's going to be in for a long night. You know, Davishvili is just going to be so much bigger and stronger, I feel like, and then riding the momentum of, of uh, you know, his teammates win uh, in Aljo this weekend. And, you know, all those guys have been training together through the quarantine, and they all stayed in, in Vegas for this fight. So, um, Marab's the biggest favorite on the card, actually, you know. So, um, it was a ballsy move for Ray, you know, Ray Borg, and it would be a – he's coming off of a loss, and – so, you know, it's a good way to get that taste out of your mouth, I guess, if you think you can pull it off. But I think that their styles are pretty similar, and, and Marab's a little bit more devastating and, and just stronger, faster. Um, and that'll probably be the uh, the demise of it. Um, Philly's a pretty big favorite. I like, I like watching him fight. I don't know a ton about Jordan. You know, he's 10-2, and two, uh, coming off of a couple wins. He's, he's had a few fights in the UFC, but... Um, you know, this will definitely be the biggest name that he's that he's drawn, and um, if he can capitalize on it, it'll be you know a big jump for him, uh, and it'll be a, a big drop for for Andre Filia, I feel like as well. Um, and then with the other two men, it's like you know that those guys like uh, Espinosa and De, uh, De La Rosa, I think, are both coming off two or three losses apiece, um, and then the girls, like you mentioned, are coming off losses. So. Um, you know, they may end up being fun, scrappy fights, but what's it? It's, I don't know, it doesn't have a lot of meaning, not, not much implications uh, for the division, per se. The prelims uh, don't have a whole lot more, man. Uh, we've got a late replacement is uh, Hannah Cyphers uh, makes a quick turnaround as she just lost to Mackenzie Dern, and now she is going to move up a weight class to 125 to take on Maria Agapova who I believe to be making her UFC debut. And uh, she is going to be a handful, I think, for Cyphers, especially Cyphers coming up from 115 to 125. Um, that's going to be tough action, I think. Charles Rosa, who we you know we just talked about, Bryce Mitchell. Charles Rosa was Bryce Mitchell's last opponent. He, off a lot, very, he got dominated in that loss. He's no slouch. I mean, he, he's a tough guy. Uh, so he's right back at it, and he's taking on Kevin Aguilar. And Aguilar is on a two-fight losing streak himself. So uh, I think that's a winnable fight for either guy. Uh, another late replacement, Julia Avila, uh, now will face Gina Mazzani, who had been released from the UFC after going one and three, and now she comes back on short notice. Uh, to uh, take on the seven and one Avila, Avila very heavy favorite in yet another 
a late replacement match. It was supposed to be Tyson Nam taking on Ryan uh, Benoit. Uh, Benoit pulls out yesterday. I don't think I ever heard why. He will be replaced by the three-in-one Zuruk Adeshev, who uh, I don't know a whole lot about him. At three-in-one, though, that's not a whole lot of experience to, to be taking a short-notice fight against uh, Tyson Nam, who's had 30 fights. He's 18-11-1. Uh, that said, Nam is very still kind of a fringe UFC-level guy, so it may end up being a good fight. Uh, Jordan Griffin takes on Derek Minner. That's a rematch from LFA a couple years ago that Minner was winning the for the majority of the fight, and then he slipped up, and uh, Griffin subbed him late. And then opening up the card, it will be 170-pound action as Anthony Ivey uh, and Christian Aguilera both make their UFC debut. Anthony Ivey was the uh, potential replacement opponent for Gerald Mearshart. Uh, had Ian Heinish uh, stayed out uh, or he stayed off the card um, from that COVID diagnosis of his corner man. He ended up uh, not getting to fight because Heinish came back in. So now Anthony Ivey still makes that UFC debut a week later against Christian Aguilera. Anything on these prelims uh, must see? Uh, I, I think that um, Charles Rosa uh, will be, be worth keeping an eye on, you know, coming off of that loss. He's a favorite. He's an underdog to, uh, to Aguilar, but you know, Aguilar's tough, but he's not, not super um, consistent, you know. Yeah. Uh, Charles Rosa is is a black belt, you know. He's got you know a high level instructor and 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 all these things. And Bryce Mitchell, like we were talking about earlier, just ran through him. So he definitely has something to prove. Um, so I, I look for I look for a, a, an upset in that fight. Um, the Tyson Nam uh, and his replacement is kind of interesting. The guy, like you said, is three and one, but uh, it's a pick 'em fight, you know. So yeah. you got a guy with you know thousand miles on him like tyson uh going up against a um, a rookie and um who knows what's going to happen so that'll probably be interesting um and you know i'm looking forward to to seeing anthony ivy too you know being willing to step up and, and fight uh mirchard on that short of notice and everything um you know taking advantage of an opportunity I, I'll, I'll be watching just to see what he's what he's got to show he's a pretty big favorite in his fight so um we'll see what happens that is the uh, this Saturday, the UFC on ESPN Plus. Uh, that will be uh, Saturday, July the 13th, 6 o'clock. We'll uh, recap that next week, and uh, hopefully we get some good scraps out of it anyway. I'm, I'm going to be playing it, you know, just because that's what I do. But, uh, yeah, I don't have a whole lot of confidence in a, in a whole lot of picks on this thing, to tell you the truth. I think that we're going to see a lot of decisions. That's one thing that I foresee is a lot of decisions. Who knows, though? Um that is our recap. I've got a couple more things to cover here real quick, and then we're going to sign off for the evening. Uh, man, first off, um, we, we've seen a lot in the last week, or actually really figure about the last two or three weeks, with the, several of the marquee UFC fighters retiring or you know, uh, complaining about their contract situation, say they want more money from the UFC and, uh, you know, they, they think they deserve raises, this, that, and the other. Uh, it was, uh, Henry Cejudo that started, uh, that kind of started the trend, you know, they couldn't renegotiate his contracts. Like I'm fine. Then I'm good. I'm retired, you know? And then, uh, we had John Jones, uh, you know, he wanted to fight Francis Ngannou. Uh, they, they couldn't come to terms. And, uh, he said that he was going to drop the belt and, uh, he was done too. And then, of course, George uh, Jorge Masvidal uh, is a very similar situation uh, last week where he he and Dana publicly got into it, um, asking for more money and uh, then uh, saying he's going to retire. And then Conor McGregor, a little bit different. Conor McGregor says that he's retiring uh, as well, um, but it's not really a money thing with him. I think he says he claims it's just because. Uh, there's nothing that interests him, and everything's just taking too long to line up. To me, I feel like that's more of a uh, tactic to get the UFC to book him even sooner. <laughs> I don't think he's retired. I think he's just like, I'm going to retire if you don't let me fight. But, you know, I get both sides of this. The UFC is, uh, you know, they're not able to sell tickets right now. Like, these guys are asking for more money at a time when the UFC is very limited in their revenue streams. And so, uh, you know, Conor McGregor, especially, was on just a different level of, uh, you know, superstardom. When Conor McGregor fights, it's an event. It is happening, and you're going to pack it the fuck out. You're going to sell a lot of tickets. So to have a Conor McGregor fight when we still can't have crowds is, uh, that's, you know, he's he's at a level where his, you know, I'm sure he, 
is not going to fight for cheap regardless. You got to pay him his Conor McGregor money, and it's hard to recoup that. You know, I think uh, when you can't sell tickets. Your thoughts on the overall situation of it? To me, I feel like you know I'm on this side of the business, and I, I so I'm not on the you know I'm for fighters. Don't get me wrong, but you know it's my job to negotiate contracts and you know do the best of my ability to make fair deals. At the same time, you know. John Jones and Masvidal, they had signed new deals less than a year ago. So uh, as Dana Weiss said, it's not like it's been three years and they are, you know, holding them off. It's they've just re-signed. So if they were okay to fight for what they signed to fight for when they signed for it, like what's changed just in these last seven, eight, nine months besides essentially the world going crazy, I guess. Yeah, so I feel like they're almost uh, – you know, different complaints. I mean, they're all, they're all kind of centered around money, but they're all a little bit different. Sure. Yeah. With Henry, you know, with Henry, it was, it was, I want more money. It was, you know, you're not paying me enough and I want more money. And, you know, the guy just defended his belt again and against an all time great bantamweight, you know, it's hard to argue that I don't know his numbers though. So it's hard to, it's hard to justify saying, yeah, he definitely needs more money or, or whatever, because, you know, I don't know what, what is his, um, his end up, you know, his end pay is, um, but you know, for John, it's a little bit different. So it seemed like he wasn't really saying, I, I want more money to defend my belt. It was, you know, if you want me to go, I, I'm, I'm willing to go up to heavyweight and fight this, this beast, you know, that could knock my head off and, um, you know, take away the allure of John Jones. But if I'm going to do that, you're going to pay me more than what I'm, what I've been fighting for. You know, I'm not going to fight Francis Ngannou for the same price that I fought. Dominic Reyes. Sure. Um, so I kind of understand that too. You know, it's, it's it is, you know, you're, we're talking about something different. Um, then I think that in the middle of the uh, just the heated exchanges, you know, um, on social media and whatnot, he just said, "Forget it." You know, I'll just retire altogether. Um, just well, those two you know, guys, they don't like those are they don't like each other anyway. You get the feel. Yeah, yeah. They, you know, they've had problems all along and. You know, a big difference is John definitely sells more tickets than Henry. So, you know, when you're looking at numbers, it's, it's hard to look at those two the same, you know. So for Henry to expect to make the same amount as John, you know, I don't know. That's just a little bit different. Um, for Masvidal, it seemed like he was basically saying that, you know, I fought Nate Diaz for this amount of money. We signed a new contract. I fought Nate for this amount of money, but you want me to fight tomorrow for the, for the real title for half the money. So I don't know exactly where – you know, how all that fell. Um, I didn't, didn't catch all the details of that one. Um, like, I, I don't know. So if he signed a contract, you know, and on the last one, I don't understand how he can be making half the money for his next fight. Well, it sounds um, unless- to me like what's happened is they offered him, you know, they offered him more money to take this last fight because it was a big fight. It was a super fight, big buildup. Uh, well, his last fight was for that BMF belt too, right? Right, yeah. You know, so it was a little different i guess they they gave him a, a a boost more or less to take that fight and now i guess they expect him to fall back into his what he signed to fight for and now he doesn't want to take a backward step even though he really probably wasn't he wasn't even do the money that he just made they gave him more to do that fight but now i guess uh he thought that that should be his jumping off point moving forward you know right and i don't i mean it's I don't know. It's, you know, you don't, you're not sitting in the, in the negotiating room with these guys and you don't hear exactly what's going on, but it would be hard to say, Hey, I made this much to fight last time. But now if I go fight, you know, Kamaru Usman, who's, you know, three to one favorite over me at this time for the real belt and I make a lot less money, the same amount as if I were to go fight Joe Blow contender, why wouldn't yeah. I just go fight Joe Blow contender? who I've got a much better shot at beating. Um, you know, so I understand that, but at the same time, once you win that belt, the BMF belt didn't bring more money. It doesn't bring the things that, that a real title does. So you're kind of fighting for that opportunity to make more money. So, um, it was, that one's kind of a tough one. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, what we, what I always end up going back to is, and there, you know, it's, it's not apples to apples by any means, but you know, in the NFL, those guys are getting paid 50, it's 50, 50, you know, revenues is, is split. And, um, the UFC paying out 18% of their revenue or their, what they're making 18% of that's going to the fighters. And, um, so I think that's, you know, that's where the biggest discrepancy lies. And I don't, I don't have too much, uh, 
I'm not, I don't feel too bad for John Jones, you know, when he when he openly says he's making five million plus a fight. I don't feel too bad for him when there's guys on the card, multiple guys on the card making twelve thousand. Um, I think that's where the bigger problem lies. You know, if they if if the UFC were to drop another two hundred thousand dollars, everybody on the you know undercard gets an extra ten grand or twenty grand or whatever. And um, you know, but they're willing to pay the champions an extra million dollars because they're going to bring that in. But um, they, I think that they the biggest discrepancy I believe is is with those lower tier fighters. You know, I think that their minimums should should definitely be bumped. Um, but it's still a young sport. I mean, it, you know, and it's it's its own thing. It's there's there's no precedence for it, really. You know, it's easy to try to compare it to boxing or uh, other sports, but it's not those sports. There's a million things that are different about it. And um, at the end of the day, you know, it's just I feel like a big part of it is is on you to market yourself and, um, you know, to make yourself marketable. Uh, but but the UFC, you know, does owe owe that to people too you know the way that they push sean o'malley is a lot different than the way that they push bryce mitchell even um so you know stuff like that is is it, it, i think is more of an issue than than john jones not getting you know 15 million to fight i read an interesting article a couple days ago and it was breaking down how you know nba players and nfl players obviously they make you know a lot more money overall but when you break down the actual time that they are competing the amount of minutes that an nba player plays and an nfl player plays when broken down versus the amount of minutes that a ufc fighter on average competes the actually the return of revenue uh percentage is actually very comparable really it is i mean it makes it makes sense obviously you know you're 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 working you know quote unquote much less time but you know, we both know that the fight is the not preparation the, going yeah, into it's stuff, not right. the twenty five minutes that you're in there competing. That that's the easiest part of it. It's the it's the eight to twelve weeks that you've spent, you know, six, seven hours a day grinding and grinding and grinding to get ready for that. That's you know, that's what they're paying you for. And you know, another thing they're paying for you you for is what you've achieved already. So, you know, they're not paying you necessarily on what you're going to do in this fight or how many tickets you're going to sell necessarily in this fight. But at, at a certain point, it becomes based on what you've already proven. And so, you know, that's where these guys like Sean O'Malley, you know, he's going to have to, if he wants big money, he's going to have to step up and fight big, big fights and show that he's worth that money. Um, it's not just going to be handed to you because you're a marketable guy necessarily. Yeah, I agree. And and it's so hard to compare the two because there's so many factors like, you know, a, a, a star NFL player, uh, you know, the revenues that they generate is still going to be uh, very much uh, very much tied to how well his team is marketed, how well that team performs as a whole, uh, obviously is going to probably draw more fans, you know, whereas in MMA, uh, really, your car, the amount of money that is drawn for a card is typically dictated by like the top two or three fights, you know. Things too, you know, like, um, you know, if LeBron gets hurt tomorrow, I don't mean, I don't know if it's basketball season, I don't know what, what anything about regular sports, but if, if LeBron gets hurt during a game and he can't play for the next four weeks and misses 15, 20 games, that doesn't change his pay any. It's not like he's not getting paid because he's sitting on the bench where these guys aren't getting paid. You know, another factor is these guys are paying, you know, you got off the top when you're, when you, when you fight off the top, you got 10% to your coaches, 10% to your managers, you know, you have to pay training partners. There's a lot of other things that these expenses come out of. So if a guy's making 30 grand, you know, if, that, if that's what it shows his, his uh, show money and win money, a combined $30,000, you know, after paying his coaches, paying his, you know, all these things and taxes, he might walk away with, 15,000 you know if he's living in california he's at 15,000 before he pays anybody yeah. and you know so it, it like you say it's just so hard to compare um the difference the, the different sports to mma uh, as far as the pay structure goes you know it's 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 a it's a good talking point i guess to try to um try to iron out some of the kinks but it's just so different that it can't be apples to apples 
lots of things to uh we could probably talk about this for an hour you know so there's a lot of uh there's a lot of different things to go into it's certainly something that we'll uh continue to conversate on i'm sure in the coming weeks we'll wrap this thing up with one last little tidbit just announced uh today or yesterday it was very, pretty recently uh we have uh two valor vets going to be fighting on the july 2nd invicta return they're going to be uh in uh, i want to say in kansas uh, kansas city maybe or maybe just kansas proper uh and that is going to be uh on july 2nd a thursday card we've got olivia parker the phoenix finally gets that call she'll be making her debut for invicta undefeated for life undefeated amateur 4-0 pro uh beast and she is going she's got a great story uh as well so uh, hopefully invicta takes advantage of uh being able to tell that to a large audience uh, she'll be taking on two and one Chelsea Chandler. So tough, uh, tough fight for her debut. But Chandler has fought as low as 135. So maybe uh, Liv may have a bit of a size and strength advantage there. Also, Gina Gooden, who has already made her pro debut uh, than Victor. She's one and oh now. She'll be returning to uh, for a second uh, helping. Uh, and I can't recall her opponent off the top of my head. I know she's a pro debut that was undefeated as an amateur. So uh, she'll be leading off the show. So uh, congrats and good luck to both of those ladies maybe we can get them on uh in the lead up to that show uh your thoughts on uh on uh Liv parker getting that shot uh it's been a long time coming man she's been been grinding and and just walking through every everybody she's had put in front of her for a while now you know i think she's had uh, i think she had five amateur fights you know like you said no losses four pro fights no losses so um it's time time for her to see the big stage and make a statement and um, like you said, she's got a she's got a tremendous story that uh, they could definitely get behind and push, and she could be a huge motivator and encourager for a lot of people out there. And once again, congrats to those two ladies on another big opportunity. We'll be rooting for you. We'll be uh, tuning in and uh, talking a little bit more about that in the coming weeks, as well as the uh, Valor 71 event coming up July 3rd. Next week, we'll uh, start diving into some interviews and, and that kind of thing as we get ready for uh, to get back into action, man. It's been too long. I'm, I'm excited for it. And um, yeah, I guess that's going to wrap it up for this week, man. Anything anything we miss? Anything else you got? Um. I mean, other than uh, the big, the big fight island announcement, mm. you know, being that's uh, right. They've announced Bobby. it. They they've revealed it's at uh, United Arab Emirates. There's some pictures out. It looks pretty awesome. They've got like a 10 mile uh, bubble where everyone in that 10 mile bubble will have been tested for COVID. There'll be training facilities and hotels and uh, food and all that good shit. Yeah, it's crazy. You got to leave the United States and go to the Middle East to have a peaceful fight. Right. So so gnarly here right now, but uh, man, it's gonna be huge. That I think they're kicking it off with uh, UFC 150 or 251, right? Yeah, that's that's gonna, that be, a gonna be a title massive. Fight. Yeah, that card is massive. So uh, I expect I expect big things from that. Um, it'll be uh, be fun to watch, man. Be cool. Be a cool experience for all those guys getting to go out there and, and girls getting to go out there and and do that as well. And with that, that is going to wrap it up for our return edition of the Valor Hour. Thanks so much for joining us. Be sure to like and uh, subscribe on all of the uh, podcast platforms that you uh, listen to us on. You can find us on iTunes. You can find us on uh, uh, iHeartRadio, Stitcher. And now this week, we've just been added to Spotify, Justin. We're joining Joe Rogan on uh, oh, Spotify. Yeah, he may have put a word in for us or something, huh? <laughs> uh, yeah. So anyway, make sure you spread the love, spread the word, and we will uh, be right back uh, the same time next week. Uh, thanks again uh, for my co-host, Justin Watson. I'm Tim Loy signing off. See you next week. This is an MMA report with Jason Floyd and Daniel Galvan. Quick fix on Radio Influence. Before we move on to Fight Island, let me let me just do a little true false with you. Twelve months from now, Dana White is the president of the UFC. It's um, a great question. Seems like he's snapping, but Dana White has has felt like um, he's been snapping for about seven straight years. I would say. No, I don't think he's going to be the the head. I don't think he's going to be in the same position. I'm going to tell you why. We are canceling everybody in this world. Everyone is getting canceled. And you tell me Dana White in the next 12 months is not going to do something that gets himself canceled. 
I just I'm not taking those odds. <laughs> I think he's going to get himself canceled some way, and he's gonna he's gonna be gone. If, if I had to guess, that's my guess, Jason. I, I'm going on that. But it just seems like man, he's tired. But the deal is, this is in his blood. This is in his DNA, and I cannot imagine this man not promoting a fight. He loves promoting. He loves the fight game. It's hard to imagine him stepping down. But I wouldn't be surprised if he gets canceled in some way. That's absolutely absolutely possible. Bro, he has fu money. Why? Why? I, the thing I don't get is why does he continue to put himself, you know, in in just? I mean, look, he has a difficult job. There's there's no doubt about it. His job is extremely diff, difficult. I, I, you know, I understand that it's it's not an easy job for him. So I would almost say that I think that the likelihood is I don't think he has. It, it, that he's with the UFC in twelve months. I I just see that maybe he just decides. You know what? I, I'm done with this. I'm 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 uh, I'm moving on next to my life. But look, it wouldn't surprise me if he still is, is the manager, of, uh, or excuse me, the president of the UFC in twelve months from now. But the MMA report with Jason Floyd and Daniel Galvan can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Podcasts, and RadioInfluence.com.